This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Beyond Charmina. charminar this is a suno india production so august is independence day month every year uh, and uh, for this month actually given the fact that the government is also observing 75 years of india's independence etc etc i thought we should probably do something a little different uh, and something that you know what most people would not have thought about we all know about the basics of indian independence india pakistan getting separated etc etc and we all know about subhash chandra bose and we all know what happened with his uh, attempt to do something different in terms of the uh, ina right so one very interesting aspect of hyderabad's history with, with in connection with subhash chandra bose actually has to do with two things one is a person by the name abid hasan safrani second is with the slogan jai hind so what a lot of people don't know is that the slogan of jai hind was in fact actually coined by somebody named abid hasan safrani who was a hyderabadi who very interestingly uh, did not study in the uk and in fact studied in germany before independence which is something you know which was a little unusual back then and and you know keep in mind that i'm also talking about the fact that hyderabad state back then was an ally of the british right so somebody going to germany at that point of time was something very uncommon plus also you have to also understand that uh, the hyderabad state under the nizams uh, was i quote unquote a loyal ally of the british so you know for for anybody who's interested in understanding what happened in hyderabad state under the last nizam before and during independence and how the hyderabad state was one of the last few states to be annexed to india i would highly recommend that you go through our older podcast episode especially from season 1 but today i'm going to stick to the story of mr abid hasan and also the ina more importantly we also have uh, two of his nieces dr ismat mehdi and uh, bizet banerji both of whom with you know i'm going to talk to to understand what kind of a person mr abid hasan was and what he was doing uh, with the ina in berlin with subhash chandra bose so i'll just give you the background about him in the years before i'm talking about the early 20th century it was slightly I mean, it was fairly common for anyone who chose the uk as uh, their destination of studies for example India's first prime minister Jawaharlal Nehru and even uh, Dr B R Ambedkar who wrote our constitution both studied there unlike going against the current basically Abid Hasan Safrani uh, a Hyderabad resident who was staunchly opposed to the British essentially chose Berlin as his education destination and uh, while studying there he in Berlin uh met subhash chandra bose and he later on basically ended up becoming his only ally who traveled with him during a submarine journey from germany to japan during second world war in fact this is one of the most uh, remarkable stories from india's independence days that we have and more importantly the slogan of jai hind so in, uh, just fyi uh, abid hasan safrani was also given the netaji award 2021 in hyderabad it was given uh, posthumously to his family uh, on april 8th so he was somebody who complete was born in on on april 11th 1911 and he completed his schooling from st george's grammar school in hyderabad near abids for those of you who know then he joined nizam college and then soon left 
to in fact uh, join mahatma gandhi after he gave a call to join the struggle for freedom you know even he did a lot of things but abedusan eventually opted to study in germany in berlin and you know after uh, he met subhash chandra bose he joined the ina in fact even was taken as prisoner of war also after that which we'll talk about a little later for those of you who don't know the ina was something that subhash chandra bose formed he gathered the captured indian soldiers fighting for the british basically uh, subhash chandra bose essentially gathered captured indian soldiers fighting for the british and he used these liberated he used these prisoners of war to raise uh, his own you know group this interestingly was he was on the other side subhash chandra bose you know went with the axis powers so i won't get too much into that i'll stick to mr abidusan safrani and uh, apart from the submarine journey with subhash chandra bose he was the person who essentially came up with the slogan of jai hind interestingly that apparently happened because there was an issue in the ina that there was a need of a common salutation that was essential to maintain discipline of the army and uh, they apparently did not want to choose english ones as their troops felt betrayed by the british so it was then that safrani was apparently given the task to come up with something new uh, the initial option was apparently hello but even that was rejected outright by bose and uh, his next proposal something like that you know something on the lines was jai hindustan ki which bose found interesting but long so then that was cut short to become jai hind which then eventually you know became the official salutation of the indian national army after bose took, out, took over it post independence jai hind was also declared as the salutation of the indian army and for government employees as well uh safrani uh, mr mr safrani settled at a farm i mean i'm i'm talking about back then sheikh pet was an outskirt in hyderabad he retired uh, and settled in tolichoki sheikh pet after independence he you know became an ifs officer he joined he joined the civil services and after that is when in uh, he settled in sheikh pet tolichoki and then he passed away in 1984 but more importantly i would you know like you all to listen to his family members about his own life you know how Uh, what were the situations that uh, you know somebody on the other side that is the ina had gone through and you know uh, what it was like to then become part of the uh, indian government and then work that way so yeah so we'll we'll talk to dr ismat mehdi and dr bizet benerji dr ismat mehdi in fact is a is somebody who studied languages and she in fact went abroad and studied with mr abidusan safrani during his ifs years and even bizet Uh, his other niece the both of sisters uh, even bizet spent some time with him that way both of them knew him uh, closely and quite well so uh, i won't spend too much time talking anymore so yeah i'm ismat mehdi uh, a hyderabadi born uh, in banjara when there was nothing in banjara it was all very rocky rocky terrain and very few houses were built I think there were about nine houses, so one of them was my parents, and uh, because this was very early, this was in the thirties. So I, I'm talking of late thirties when I was born, and uh, there, there was nothing really here. It was called Banjara because of the Banjara tribe. Yeah, they used to roam around, and they had the place here. So. apart from the babies born on to the banjara tribes i was the first baby born to the settlers in, i think because i checked with the others you see i so i'm the oldest so if you 
A, you were born in Banjara Hills. I mean, was it? I'm assuming was it called Banjara Hills back then? Okay. So that A, uh, B, uh, why was why did your family like why did why did you all choose Banjara Hills? Because you know our close family member, uh, Mehdi Nawaz Jang, who actually uh, colonized yes. Banjara Hills, so he had moved and uh, he. Uh, borrowed some money from us and then he gave back the money in shape of land. So already there was a very, the old city was getting very congested. Oh, yeah, we were not, I mean, uh, compa comparatively, although we didn't live in the old city, we were around, my maternal side was around uh, Abbots. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Abbots. And the paternal side was in Old City. You see, we used to bus it to school. So we were very... Uh, there was no other transport. There was nothing here. The roads were all kacha. And very few people had cars, you see. So we all went by bus. Even the officers went by bus. And in between, there was patrol rationing uh, during police action. Strict patrol rationing. So they didn't... We, the cars were there in the garages. Of course, my father was quite uh, inventive, so we had a coal gas plant put on the car. So we would go to school sometimes, but mostly by bus. And the bus was an institution because everybody was on the bus. We learned our manners, we learned how to behave, you know, and we learned so many other things. And jokes were cracked, and you I mean, can imagine all what happened. Huh? I'm just interested. I mean, interesting that uh, you were all using the bus as students back then. Yeah. So yeah. where would you catch the bus from? Just down the road. Either the bus was coming for that time here. Yeah, it used to go to Panjagutta from Koti. Okay. Used to go to Panjagutta, turn back. So when the bus went to Panjagutta, we would go down to the bus stop. So, that's basically two things. It's perfectly fine, uh, I just want to know one thing. A, uh, when did you start, when did Abid Hassan Saab come back to Hyderabad and when did you start, uh, what, is your, what is your earliest memory with him and then you can just explain everything, no problem at all. So, when um, Usman Ali Pasha came, he uh, told the, you know, the, the authorities that were sending teachers and all, um, that he would he didn't want any ordinary teacher to come to Mehmedia. He wanted somebody which, you know, after they had been screened and they found to be very good to teach in some elitist schools in England, they had to come to Hyderabad to teach. So we had an all English uh, staff. Hmm? And um, only for Urdu, Arabic, Persian, we had uh, local Lovely. teachers. Yeah. Uh, were there a lot of women who were women teachers there at that point of time? No, all women. Okay, all women. It was a it was an all girls school. All as I told you, British and very two or three Indian teachers. That's how we. That's the background. Yeah. How was that different in terms of schooling experience for you? Because the, the teachers are English, right? So. Yeah, but the, but the students were all from here. Okay. They were here, and we gradually, uh, I mean, they, they also they knew how to handle us. You studied there till your 10th? Um, yeah, senior Cambridge. 
उसके बाद स्कॉटिश All the miners were from Scotland. In uh, in, in Kutta, in in uh, So so then you all went for uh, to observe that day in the church. So we went to the church, and uh, we didn't we didn't know anything about our uncle. But sitting uh, in church, I was with my sister, and parents were on the other side. It was a small church, you know. You can imagine in Kuttagudam what sort of a church there would be. Suddenly, father got up, and he came across, and he said, uh, "Pray hard for your uncle, because he has to come back." That's all. He didn't say anything. Then, after some time, uh, people from Burma came okay. to meet my grandmother, and said, uh, "Don't worry, your son is alive, and he will come. He's in Singapore." So that's how uh, the family came to know that uh, yes. Abid Hasan was alive and uh, in um, Singapore. Okay. Yeah. Wow. For years they thought he was. Uh, he had gone to study German and no news during the war. He didn't write back or anything at that point of time. Uh, I don't think there was. Uh, oh, commun communication. Yeah, yeah. So how old were you in 1945? When this happened, you were when you heard about about eight years old. Okay. Uh, how many siblings with were with the Mr. Abidhasan? Well, at that time there were two or three brothers, okay. three brothers, four brothers, and three sisters. Okay. But apart from him, the rest were all here, or I mean, I mean in India. Yeah, they were in India, but mm -hmm. in different places. Yeah, yeah. Okay. One was in Aligarh, famous okay. professor uh, of Persian, Hadi Hasan. उंड and then he used to uh, organize our lives he used to uh, make us uh, sit and first of all we had to <clears throat> we had to play the na the national anthem khadam khadam bada bada ja and we had to then of course we we all greeted each other with jai hind and um, he made us he taught us mathematics okay. so he was very good in uh, Maths, and he thought that you know we should do well. So he 
gave a lot of time and he had in his own system of maths so okay. i picked that up also so after he came back uh, see, we were living next door to uh, grandmother's house acha so we used to just come walk across okay otherwise we were with our parents mm. so after he came back uh, after police action after independence when did he uh, become a diplomat well after independence they when they started the indian foreign service he applied and then he got it they were taking some uh, ina officers also okay there were four or five of them so of course he was ex ina so ex ina but then he had to go through the interview pandit nehru was there interviewing him he was a foreign minister external affairs minister so he had to go through the regular things so, like was he also somebody who also eventually became a friend of jawaharlal nehru not really because you know he was always abroad you know in different uh, cities but uh, okay no, no i'm just asking but, but so i think he had regard for him uh, and of course uh, anyway uh, so when he applied to the uh, foreign service so how did you like so how does your story start with him like how did you end up well it's a very personal story when he was in jail and we came to know that he's alive and all we used to all write letters so i also wrote a letter to him introducing myself and i said i am so and so and i'm your sister's daughter and kya kidar yeah my mother sort of told me how to write and i wrote to him and then i became very he became very fond of me from that time onwards okay and took a special interest yeah so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how after you know when you went abroad with him uh, how was life there i'm talking about you know somebody from hyderabad in the 50s and 60s uh what was what, i mean i mean you know it's also of course i'm sure it's a cultural sh- change shock or whatever we, we call it today but were you no there was no culture shock or anything because you know the life in the embassies was sort of you know where you're very protected and you've got a very indian atmosphere and then uh, slowly you know because he had studied abroad in german germany he knew how one should Uh, get started in Europe. Did he ever tell you any stories about his time from uh, the INA and from when he was with Bose? Not really. No, no, because we were into just he was into just guiding me in my studies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of us probably don't know how it is to be living with somebody who is a diplomat in general. So, like you know. how how it look what 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 is the daily life like i'm talking about you know even uh, as a, as a student as a person living with somebody with diplomat yeah when i was in you see i was between bern and other cities mm-hmm. so when i was in bern with him i just used to be at home or go to the vacation courses and study all the time 8 hours a day i used to study yeah and strict routine and then he would take me here and there we visited all the sites in switzerland beautiful sites then i went to geneva and geneva i was staying with in a few you know a family and there uh, i was on my own yeah so i managed 
Okay. I mean, it's not very difficult coming <laughs> think of it. I didn't feel strange or anything. One more thing. Um, we know about Mr. Abedasan and, you know, the whole Jai Hind story. It's been written about and things like that. But what was he like a person, you know, I'm talking about with regard to... He was, uh, he was uh, very affectionate, very warm and uh, very humorous, full of mirth. And uh, he had a lot of regard for other people. He also liked animals, you know, cats and dogs. And uh, and he wouldn't uh, differentiate between the rich and the poor. You see, he would, uh, if some, some servant is there, he said, come and sit at the table. Did he ever uh, talk to you about, I mean, would the discussion of politics or the Indian government or independence ever... Did, did you both ever talk about all that? Yeah, because we were in the embassy, so all mm -hmm. the time we were talking politics, Indian politics, and what. Uh, and he had been to China before coming to Switzerland. So a lot about China and life in China, and uh, of course Indian politics and India and Pakistan, Let the me... Kashmir issue, all that we used to discuss. Is there anything particular that you would like to share about his thoughts? What? His thoughts were on you know some of the important things that he like what he thought maybe you know he felt about certain things. I mean, of course, as somebody who worked in the INA and then somebody who joined the IFS. I think he uh, adjusted rather well. It mm -hmm. adjusted because you know you have to meet people when you're a diplomat. You have to meet people and get the news from all sorts. So he would go and uh, talk to the farmers. He would talk to. Bureaucrats, because he his German was very good, okay. because he'd studied Sorry, in Germany. Germany. So that way he used to gather all the information, send it to India. And then we had a lot of visitors from India coming to the embassy. So uh, there I met a lot of people. Anybody particularly interesting that you think you would like to talk to? I was, I was uh, a student child. Right. Yeah. Okay, so one more thing. Did he ever talk about Bose? Yeah, in general. Ah, he he talked about him. He said, for instance, he would say that um, one quality of Bose was that he was uh, very strict. Okay. He was very strict, and and what he wanted, he was very clear. So. Interesting. Yeah, he was very clear about, and then he wouldn't stand brook any nonsense. When he first met him, uh, of course he raised him. He said, oh, Subhash Babu and all that. And then he said, you come and join me. Uh, he was uh, in his last semester of okay. engineering. Yeah. yeah. So he said, I can't join you now. Because uh, I have only one semester left. And my family has sent me with great, uh, you know, they had to really uh, to send me so they want me back with some qualifications some degree and I, if i just study for about six months i'll get my diploma or degree so uh, netaji got very angry oh, okay. very angry and he was very quick to get angry at such thing he said you know you people have no love for your country you are not patriotic. You are selfish. You can you only think of yourself, your studies, your future, what will happen to the country. 
how will we get rid of the British? How will we be free? So you have to join now. He yeah. said, how can I join now? I mean, he was really in, in a fix. So he said he went back uh, to his place and he couldn't sleep because Netaji was very very strong person and he would come, you know, like, so he said, how what to do now? So then the next morning he went and reported, joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and the family didn't know. So when did the family, like, not have communication with what he's doing after, you know? I'm in 1939, the war broke out. Right. I think very soon after that, there was no communication. Okay. And did he also ever talk about his time in the submarine or something? Any of it, you know, because I think a lot of people. He said a lot. He said, you know, the, first of all, there was no water. Okay. And sometimes, you know, from the engine, there would be drops. Oh, so they would collect this and then he would sponge himself. In the submarine, there would be in no the water. Sub yeah, water is very. Uh, I mean, it was rationed. Right. And then the other thing is, he said he had to cook. For, because the food that they gave was very sort of rubbery, you know, the steaks and all, were very, couldn't eat, so how could Netaji eat those things? So he went into the kitchen and he, the thing and he found that they had some rice, they had some dal, so he made, used to make khichdi for him. And that's how he survived. He said, if I hadn't been on the submarine, if somebody else who didn't know how to cook, Netaji would have died. And they were there for months, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think at that point of time uh, that inter, the transfer also happened from, you know, they had to, I think, I believe they had to change the submarine at that point of time. Yeah, they to changed reach. the submarine in Madagascar. Okay. Near Madagascar, they changed to a Japanese submarine. And Japanese submarine was better. They had much better food and it was larger. And uh, here they were very cramped. Okay. Mm. So, uh, any idea what happened to those submarines afterwards? Like, are any of them by any chance still on display somewhere? Yeah, they were there uh, because years later, uh, in England, they had this independent TV channel for something. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Huh? So, they organized a, a reunion of the INA people. And they uh, invited, you know, people like Shanavasa. Dillon and uh, Seigal and Abed, my uncle, and the, the captain of that ship, that submarine. Yeah. So they had the sort of interview and they had a program. Yeah. Wow. ITV, I think it's called. ITV. So, well, I mean, yeah, after he came back, he applied for the, uh, for the, for the diplomat you know, position. You know, we had... So after he came back, he fell ill. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, after he came back, he was very ill because, you know, he was in prison, in solitary uh, confinement. Right. And at that, Pandit Nehru went to Singapore, to the prison, and he asked for him. He said, where's Abid Hassan? So they said, he's in this uh, cell. So they took him to the solitary cell. And he came back. came back. He came back, he was not well, and he joined one or two firms, and he was not... Uh, doing quite. So the reason I asked you about Mr. about, about Mr. Abidhasan, what happened afterwards is because we had independence, then we had police action. So I just wanted to know if he was active 
around that point of time around police action actually i don't really know because we were in kottagudam and he was, he was here yeah actually you were in kottagudam during police action yeah what was happening there uh, the uh, change of arm army came right. the army came and uh, we were told to put up some uh, army officers and they happened to be related to us Oh, yeah. from where were they? From Hyderabad army. Okay. Yeah. So this was before that police action? Right. Mm. Before police action? During police action. Or oh. just after police action. Mm. Because the Indian army took some officers from the Hyderabad army. And then they spread them all over. So Kuttagudam also had some station. Yeah. So after police action well, what happened to your father was he like was he, he was a government officer so kuch unko kuch farak pada kya no he was uh, he was uh, working for singarani collieries but nothing happened to him okay. no because of course the government you know indian government went after a lot of independence didn't affect us because we were hyderabad you know till 48 nothing happened right and no. even after 48 we were not affected in the city was yeah. okay so uh, when after your school after independence you know when you came back here so you had you said you have you're all 10 siblings right yeah so why did he ask you to come with him to because i was the right age you know to to benefit from his university education in switzerland okay. and he was not married yeah so when he so oh, i mean do, do you remember the Do you remember? Do, do you remember any particular conversation you had with him about education at that point of time? No, no, nothing. I was so excited. He said, "Yeah, I'm going to Switzerland. Would you like to come along?" I was, I jumped at the idea, and that was it. I was with uh, Manna, as we used to call uh, Agadhas and Safrani, my uncle, for a year uh, in Dakar. He was then ambassador uh, to Senegal, and also uh, adjoining territories. He was roving ambassador. They call it. so that included uh, gambia that included mauritania so they were very interesting places i was a very old, i was old enough 21 or something so after my graduation and everything i went there so to learn french and i was hopeless unlike my sister i took no interest in studies because there was so much fun happening and so many parties and <laughs> the diplomatic circle so i didn't do well at all and that my uncle used to get furious with my lack of attention uh anyhow but the thing i want to tell you about him is that uh which my sister also mentioned he was very good at gathering information so he would really uh, find out what's happening and these places were very interesting you know like mauritania they were coming up newly independent and uh, also part of the un thing so we had to press our point of view not only with the governments but also with the other diplomats so there was this constant problem i remember which used to come up between with the other diplomats like um, a community like the germans and the uh, english and all about kashmir and they would say why don't you sort out kashmir but my uncle was very passionate about this the way the pakistanis had interfered after independence with the kashmir issue and he said we can hold we could have held a play beside but they just drove in a lot of their kind of brainwash people into the into the valley if that hadn't happened we would have held a plebiscite 
it was only the Pakistanis who intruders who came in later. So because that was one big point which kept coming up. And uh, the other thing was that um, the Germans, I remember complaining that, um, you know, uh, we, it's, we give a lot of money to India. So India is like a bottomless pit, Mr. Ambassador. I remember the words very clearly. Which, India is like a bottomless pit and the more aid we give, the more she needs. So now we had, we had a pretty tough time defending that one because it was true that we were living on a lot of aid. We were going through, India was going through a lot of transformation, uh, having inherited all, as you know, the problems with the British. So um, that was it. Now, when it came to Mauritania, which was a very poor country, as, and all they were exporting was peanuts, basically. Uh, so uh, every the diplomatic community would be very dismissive and said, what do you have to go to Mauritania for? All they can do is export peanuts. So my uncle would say, no, but they have copper also. They've got a lot of mines. And he really could understand. Uh, you know, he really used to do a lot of research. He really knew the terrain much better than the other diplomats because he was interact with a lot of people, including the locals. The others wouldn't do it. So he knew the challenges. He knew the resources. And um, also he was, um, as she said, very warm. My sister said very warm and affectionate. So his rapport building was very good with everybody he met. So uh, that's just so. But one thing, a, a bit of a, on the lighter side, the Brazilian ambassador was talking to me one day and uh, he was very agitated after the conversation. So he told my uncle, hey, your, your niece holds the most shocking views. Uh, Mr. Um, uh, ambassador, haven't you educated her? She's a cap. She holds capitalist views, and India is a socialist country. So my uncle didn't know what to, how to reply, and he said, "But you know, the only paper I get is the Patriot, which is a leftist paper. So beyond that, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and if you want to educate her, by all means, you're most welcome. I think she'll listen to you more than she will to my uncle." I forgot to mention that after he. Uh, because he joined Netaji after Netaji told him to join. You see, it's the spirit of sacrifice which really uh, hit me. You know, how these people sacrificed. Uh, and that is what he always said, that uh, Netaji called for people to give up and not think twice. Mm. Mm. And then, then during... Uh, uh, his time in Iraq, I had come away to India, there was a revolution. There was a big revolution in Iraq. And uh, there were questions in parliament here that Indian ambassadors are generally not in station. They, wherever important things happen, they are away. And that happened in so many countries, adjoining countries to Iraq. So Pandit Nehru, he defended Abid Hassan in Parliament. He said, you know, uh, he was very well informed and he took his name. He said, Shahjid Affair. His ambassador was away, but Shahjid Affair was there and he was very well informed and he kept telling us what was happening. So we were better informed than many of the uh, countries, other countries that were there. And then he quoted, Pandit Nehru quoted an example. He said, you know, I had gone to Iraq earlier, a few months uh, earlier, and I mingled with some chaiwalas and all. And uh, I, I got to know that the king 
and his coterie and the government is not popular is very unpopular and they they want to be like egypt they want to be egyptians they want to get rid of the uh, old uh, feudal system that is what i found pandit nehru said i that's what i found in iraq so this reporting was very correct but normally diplomats keep to themselves they go to parties because you see he said uh, why do you go off to beirut every time there is a a, a a coup in syria you are found in beirut and he said because i know when it's coming so i go ahead and then there is no the communication is much better in beirut then when it happens in syria you won't be able to reach me so it really was amazing that thrice i think it happened and thrice he was in beirut and he knew he could you know because he had his ear to the ground thank you for listening to this episode of beyond channel you can listen to more episodes on our website sunoindia.in or on any other podcast app of your choice